Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Time to get out of the cold and hit Orlando for Dev Intersection? What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. March 25th to 28th at the Swan Hotel in Orlando for another great Dev Intersection. All your favorites are going to be there, including Scott Guthrie and Scott Hanselman. Ah, the greater and lesser Scott. Yes. And if sequel is your thing, Paul Randall and Kim Tripp are, as usual, running an awesome set of sequel sessions. And this year at Dev Intersection, we have a special emphasis on new artificial intelligence technologies, including deep learning, cognitive services, and more. And of course, all the latest web tech, Angular, C Sharp, Visual Studio, all your favorites. So go to devint.netrocks.com right now and register. Sign up for a workshop as well, and you'll get some cool hardware. We'll see you there. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're still here in London mm-hmm. at the NDC conference. Second day. Second day. All is well. Jessica White is here. We're going to be talking dashboards with her in just a minute. But first, um, to follow up on a conversation we were having last week, or maybe even the week before, let's roll the music for Better Know a Framework. Awesome. All right, man, what do you got? Well, we were talking Bitcoin with Jennifer, uh, and I found this site called gdax.com. Mm-hmm. which is a digital asset exchange where you can buy and sell, you know, not just Bitcoins, but a bunch of cryptocurrencies. Ethereum, Litecoin. Light, uh, mm. Yeah, there's a bunch of them here. But the cool thing about this website isn't just using the website to, to look at stuff. You can use an API oh. to not only get real-time feeds for pricing, but to trade. Oh, Okay. So that opens up a world of possibilities to people that want to, you know, basically gamble their money away. <laughs> well, you could even play arbitrage games so that you think the rate of – because they'll allow you to trade between different cryptocurrencies. So you right. move money from Bitcoin into Ethereum and then out to U.S. dollars because the difference in the exchange between Bitcoin and Ethereum to U.S. is different. You know, it's an arbitrage yeah, game. Right. There yeah. are folks who do that with, with fiat currencies all the time. Mm. We call them scumbags. <laughs> 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 People who don't actually make anything, they just try and ream a little cash out of the system. Yeah, that's right. So there you go. I thought that was interesting, and uh, I think thanks goes to uh, some of the AppVNX guys for that, but I can't remember which one. So thanks, guys. Very interesting to to look at trading this way. Cool stuff. Yeah, it's cool. Who's talking to us today, Richard? We're Ab to comment off a show 1466, recorded back in August of 2017, with actually, no, published then, because it was actually from NDC Oslo, which was in June. Oh, right. Talking about Sarah Log with Nicholas Blumhart. Yeah, that was good. Good, Yeah, great show. We've done a few of them over the years. And this particular comment, I think, is relevant to today's conversation around dashboards. Because Matthew says, I used to be a developer, but I'm mostly in app support now, which means that I get to solve the obnoxious problems that the developers and vendors never thought of and generally refuse to believe in. (laughs) As a result, I'm a bit log file obsessive. (laughs) See, you know, Matthew, this pursuit of the truth, it's just going to end in tears. It's not going to end well. (laughs) Here's the number one thing that I think developers don't understand about logging and auditing, which is logging in a suit. Uh, (laughs) Good line, man. I think I'm going to steal that one. Yeah. Uh, You don't just write log files so you can work out what happened when something goes wrong. You write log files so that you can verify that it isn't going wrong in real time. Mm. Don't just log errors, log the successes and some of the more important expectations too. If there's any chance that what you're about to do can fail, then log what you're planning to do and then log that you did it and then log the outcome to boot. Hmm. Put enough real-world information in the logs that you can figure out what happened when someone else's system goes wrong, because it will, and they will invariably look to assign blame, probably to you. Hmm. Uh, I'm responsible for and wrote a lot of little scripts and scheduled tasks and integration tools that sit between other systems. My mortal fear is that somebody will, someday, challenge me to prove that my stuff worked and I can't do it. (laughs) If there's a problem, I want to know before anybody else does, and I want enough information that I can respond before anybody cares or notices. Mm. It's also a great and easy place to throw in some timestamps and numbers for easily grepped tokens so that you can produce statistics. This is where you actually prove that that, you're delivering the quality service that people Mm. are asking Mm -hmm. for. Adequate logging basically gives you superpowers. And in an imperfect world, uh, an ops and app support environment, it's worth the effort. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'm not going to argue with no, you there, I can't man. Argue that's that. good stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it just brings the back to side. I did this years and years ago, you know, when I did real work. Mm-hmm. Um, that right after we'd ship a version, I would watch the logs to see how people were using the new feature. Yeah. And, and sometimes it showed, hey, the new feature has something terrible in it that's going to kill everything if we don't do something about it soon. And you should wait, you know, do something about it before it kills everything. Right, right. But I always loved writing that report a week, two weeks, a month after we deployed the new feature, talking about who's using it and how they're using it. And mm. logging was how all that was driven. You know, that's a good uh, a good segue into our talk today because dashboard would come in real handy for that. Yeah, you think? You think? That's a good one. Yeah. So, Matthew, thank you so much for your comment at .NET Rocks mug. It's on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there, we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. We use the hashes for Bitcoin. I don't even know what that means. But. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, let's introduce Jessica. Jessica White is a software developer with a strong interest in backend development and all things monitoring. She originally found her passion for code while studying neuroscience. Wow. And since switching fields, she hasn't looked back. Outside of development, Jessica founded and organized Women in Tech Nottingham from 2015 to 2017. She's easily bribed with coffee and loves hearing about other people's experiences in technology. Welcome, Jessica. Hi. Hey, Hi. We like hearing about other people's experiences in technology, too. And really? coffee. Yeah, well, you like coffee. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, coffee's what's ended up with me being at NDC, to be honest. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wrong coffee at the wrong time ends up with you being on stage. Oh, well. <laughs> that happens. Yeah, the worst things have happened. So, uh, tell us about your experience here. I mean, we're talking about dashboards. Obviously, you've got some experience with them. Yeah, um, kind of all things monitoring. So, the logging comment was very interesting very as well. Very appropriate, huh? Yeah, very appropriate. Yeah. Um, so, I probably got into it about 18 months ago, I guess. Okay. The company I worked in uh, as a software dev, I was having some problems trying to use the dashboards and they were completely completely useless <laughs> yeah. so um i got interested in how to make that better and started looking into different standards for dashboarding but mm-hmm. then different levels of dashboarding how they're used in different areas are there standards for dashboards there can be um, nice. that's a good answer <laughs> there should be yeah. yeah um so the talk that i was doing today was very much around having a purpose for the metrics that you're doing the mm-hmm. dashboards you're doing so mm. why are you measuring the things? Right. Is there an action on the back of it? Isn't that sort of the prerequisite for any metric? If it if seeing that number causes you to have a re, you know, reaction or an action you can take to alter it, then it's a useful number. Yeah, unless mm. it's why is that number on the screen? Yep. Very much so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's around that because the dashboards I originally used had a lot of information where nobody knew what it was for yeah. or it just never changed. Is that number good? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Should that be orange? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, so I did some work throughout the business, actually, from uh, not only dev and ops level, but helped out with some BI and MI work as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, and did a centralized logging project, which is why I like the logging comment. Nice. <laughs> uh, implemented Elastic in a system. Okay. Yeah, Which as, was storage, interesting. as a storage mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. To stop us from logging on to several boxes to find out what was going wrong with one website. Right. We could hmm. Have it all in Cabana. Beautiful. Well, I've certainly had that experience trying to anal- diagnosing what performance problems in websites where the IIS log is one thing, but the perfmon data is something else entirely. Like hmm. they're both yeah. necessary parts of trying to understand the equation, but consolidating that information together is bloody hard. It's also having communication between teams. So if you've got ops very separate from dev but mm-hmm. having such a high impact on each other can be a bit of a nightmare sometimes sure. figuring out who's fixing what and whether you're actually hindering each other at the same time <laughs> do you also see that dashboards become the neutral way to express data like i've certainly found when you have two different you have an ops team and a dev team that aren't necessarily getting along it's ops writing bug reports to dev about what happened in production and you end up criticizing their writing more than what actually happened where, you know, I've always been a big advocate and like pull the whole error log up, the actual, bu- you know, crash report. So there's no debate. It's the actual data. And I wonder if a dashboard could fill in for that. It's like, why do we think these numbers are like this? You don't question the numbers so much as you discuss the action on the numbers. 
I don't know if it's so much fill in for it, but definitely work alongside it. So again, you can have different style uh, dashboards for operational and development. Mm-hmm, operational mm-hmm. might cover CPU, memory, for example, development, other things. Um, so you can have it so that you've got the same information as each other, maybe in the formats that you need it, covering the same services. Mm. So you can, at least you can have those open communications and be seeing the same picture, so right. to speak. We're is speaking it, to the same problem space. Yeah. Is it possible to have too much information on a dashboard? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> is that a typical mistake people make? Or? Uh, definitely. Um, so another piece of my talk is about the layers of dashboards. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially with tooling these days, you can have kind of a feature-level dashboard, what's happening in that feature, mm. and you can click down through, which is right. oh, so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. uh, the first tool I worked with did not have that feature, and yeah. it was a case of, going from one URL to the next to try and find out what's going on. Uh, right. So I'm a big fan of that feature. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's knowing at what level you want to see the information, but also mm. who's using the information. Like, do they actually need to see half the stuff? Right. Is yeah. it meaningful to them or does it just cause grief? Yeah. Is it just noise? And I'm, I'm interested in the, the sort of the psychology of, of uh, what, you know, shape the data takes. Uh, pie charts versus you know bar chart we talked to somebody about this Mm -hmm. who was very i can't remember his name but he was very much against pie charts he's like pie charts are deceiving and and deceptive and don't really show you the whole the whole picture you really need to see some sort of bar graph what was he using it for i can't remember i think it this was a while ago do you remember what i'm no i don't yeah it was an anti-pie chart rant yeah. But having made a lot of different kinds of charts, I'm, but I actually own the book, How to Lie with Statistics. <laughs> and, uh, and it's unlike it is 38th reprinting because I think the government keeps buying them all. <laughs> uh, but the graph, you, how you represent the visualization of the data mm. viscerally changes people's af- a reaction to the data. Right. So you've already ma- had them make up their mind before they know what the number is. Yeah. By, you know, just sh- make sure the graph shows from bottom left to top right. Whatever, yeah. f- whatever form it takes, whether it's bars going up or it's a line going up, as long as it's going up, people feel good about it. Going mm. up is good. Mm. The fact that going up is actually the temperature in the data center and it's about to burst into flames, <laughs> you know, you've done that wrong. You've made people feel good about the data center is about to catch fire. Well, that's part of the reason why I'm surprised I like this topic so much, because having spent many years in academia, too many years, I could argue, uh, it was always taught on how to play statistics. So right. it might look like your study had failed, but if you move it so it's just rounding up slightly it suddenly what it looks great it's yeah. awesome <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't surprise me at all that neuroscience plays into this people's ability to perceive yeah definitely um and with statistics as well because mm-hmm. most of it's based off it yeah mm-hmm. no absolutely and on all of those academics how they create their reports and you know how they get funding from how they visualize their outcomes and it's, it's pretty powerful stuff do you feel like the data needs to be real time or is this a certain amount of time behind? How often do, do dashboards have to be updated? I think, again, it's very dependent on purpose. Mm-hmm. So you would have some real time data. Say you wanted to see uh, the load on your website. You wouldn't want to know the load from an hour ago. You can yeah. react to it. Mm. But then again, you can use um, kind of metricized data. So trying to see patterns over months and you wouldn't mm-hmm. want to keep every single little detail. That'd yeah. be expensive. So. Well, you certainly want to roll it up to try and derive a trend. Like most of the time I found that the deltas were more interesting than actual values. Yeah. That this value is trending up or it's trending down or it's, you know, different today than it was yesterday. So it's always, it's always a question whenever you put a number in front of somebody's face, like, is this good? You know, how would you know a good or bad value? I kind of like the concept of is this good as well in another, in another sense. So you can have... Um, the danger of this might be interesting, <laughs> which tends to lead to very unethical use of data. Oh, yeah. So certainly seeing HR uh, systems, seeing HR dis- dashboards, they've gone, right, we want to know how many people are in, who they are, how much work they're doing, mm-hmm. and work it out to the penny. Like, yeah, yeah no. Yeah. No, stop doing that. That's bad. <laughs> Well, I've mm. also had HR folks ask me, can you tell me whenever somebody surfs to LinkedIn? Because whenever they do that, they're looking for another job. <laughs> so like, you know, I think I'm not going to do that, actually. Let's let's say, no, I can't. How about that? <laughs> yeah, I've certainly used LinkedIn more since I realized that if you just use it occasionally, suddenly you get pulled into meetings a lot 
more around that point. <laughs> <laughs> are you happy? Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Why, <laughs> Why do you ask? Have you been violating my privacy? <laughs> <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> so uh, I just pulled up a couple of links of people who are talking like on businessinsider.com, for example, about how pie charts are evil. Just to go back to that, because that was bugging me. Yeah, sure. And the problem is you really can't see relationships when the numbers are equal, right? And you're looking at um, you're looking at relationships of, you know, one thing to each other, parts of, parts of a whole. And if they're, if they're very close in size, it's very difficult to find out and to visually see and compare them because you're kind of rotating the parts with your eyes. And your mind, and uh, very easy to see when you stack them up in bars next to each other. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's this. If you're say you've got five values, and and two or three of them are close to each other, they represent the majority of something. Yeah, I mean, that's where a pie chart kind of shines. That you can see, hey, these three things together are eighty five percent of this entire pie. Yeah, yeah. So it's that's the piece we should pay attention to. Yeah. Where I don't know that a stack graph necessarily necessarily represents that better, yeah. but. It's interesting how much you have to assume about your data to then decide how to visualize it. Mm -hmm. You know, if a pie chart is one number is 99% and the next 10 numbers are fractions of 1%, charts are remarkably useless. Yeah, Mm. very much so. So, you know, how do you know what those numbers are supposed to be or what it looks like? Do you find a lot of iterations on on dashboarding? Like, Yeah, um, I find that one of the biggest problems with dashboarding or that people face with them is they don't change them enough. Right. So it's, you can use dashboards for many things, but if you're using it for a business goal or for a software system, all these things change over time. Sure. So what's measuring them should yeah. change over time. Yeah. Um, and you tend to find that data just goes stale and suddenly it's useless. And people stop looking at it, basically. Exactly. So, yeah, it sounds like there's got to be a trigger there that as the business goal changes, there's this requirement for how is this going to be reflected in the dashboard. Yeah, and I think it's also a useful tool to provoke conversation. Mm -hmm. So if you're saying, okay, so we need to change the dashboard, what should we be measuring? You're talking about what the purpose of that piece of work is or where it might fail. And it actually kind of brings up a lot of social aspects, which is quite nice. Well, you're talking about the dashboard, like the interface point of the business to the software. So needless to say, it's going to be important to talk about the business in that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They actually have business activities around. And making sure that whoever's using it can actually use it mm-hmm. for whatever purpose it is. Mm. You talked about clicking. Do you think, for the most part, dashboards are HTML-driven? What's the best or preferred tooling around that? <laughs> I love the question of uh, what's the preferred tooling because uh, there's so many tools. Sure, <laughs> yeah. And there's many that are specified for a specific purpose or... Realistically, I think it very much comes down to what you're using for and mm-hmm. who's using it. So if there's a tool that people know how to use, use it. It's going to be a lot easier than training people. Um, if you're doing operations, for instance, using a tool like Zabbix, which is very much focused towards that kind of dashboarding and mm-hmm. tooling for it. Zabbix? Yeah. With a Z? With a Z. A Z, right. I'm in the UK. <laughs> Nice. Don't you Canadians say Zed too once in a while? Yeah, but we hang along with the, hang around with so many Americans, we can get confused. Ah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Zavix one is one that I've used at a previous workplace, mm. um, which is very much focused towards that, but nice. would be not so great for a uh, project level or a business level dashboard. Mm. This, so this is sort of an enterprise product. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a pretty big commitment to a tool. Very much so. Where does a dashboard end and an application begin? There's uh I bet you get this a lot. Oh, if we could just hook up a couple of buttons to do a couple of business things. <laughs> yeah. Um well, it's all coming down to the name of it, isn't it? Dashboard's part of monitoring. Right. It shouldn't be part of the actual logic itself. Right. Because <laughs> otherwise you're going to have something to measure your dashboarding to check that that's working and right. suddenly it's got all gone crazy. They're saying that a uh, previous workplace, we had two tools going on the go. So we were using Datadog and Elastic. Oh, uh, yeah. But we we're just using Datadog to check that Elastic was still up. Because <laughs> <laughs> if that went down, we were screwed. <laughs> uh, right. No, I like that. I've done a lot of work in the DevOps space. And the monitoring dashboard for a healthy performance website often has a couple of buttons on it. Mm-hmm. But those buttons are like simulated transaction, like go exercise a workflow all the way through, but don't actually write the data to the database kind oh. of thing. 
but so they were about causing specific monitoring events to happen. Mm. Those dashboards came from almost invariably an outage where a software developer was also in the room. Because because the ops guys have their own tools already and they just try and use them. It's only when a dev's in the room as well and they and they realize how little you know about what's going on with the software. They're like, we should write something that shows you these values or these aspects of the app so that you know what's struggling and what isn't. And the IT guys invariably go, you could do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I also found it's like, I, I do DevOps by when to throw the party. Right. So when <laughs> ops and development show up at management with a feature they want to add to the app to understand it better, throw a party. Like yeah. that's a, when, de- when ops and dev are on the same side of a problem, yeah. that's a good day like yeah. every time. But that's, I think it's a very specific style of dashboard. I don't want to color the conversation on that. It's, it's one I've interacted with a lot, but it's, they tend to be generated from the guys who are keeping the systems alive. Well, yeah, there's lots of different types of forms of dashboard as well. Mm. There's some great talks on um, uh, metric-driven development, which very much goes along the lines of performance monitoring, trying to test the system, seeing how it's performing and where you can improve it. Sure. Mm. Uh, I only know quite a bit about this because my other half worked in that area for a while. Nice. Uh, So Mm. I've been stealing his brains. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's one way to express it, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Absorbing his knowledge. He is my Yoda. That's nice. Nice way to go. But and I like what I like about metric driven development. Again, this is throwing the DevOps hat on. Is we started using metrics as a way to justify features. It's like yeah. I want to rewrite this feature. I want to make this feature different this way because I think it'll improve value this way. Here are the current numbers for the way the feature currently works. Now we're going to you know spend a few weeks and slip this new version in and then look at the new measurements and see. Yeah, we've increased value here. And uh, again, I'm in heavily in the e-commerce space. So it's like decreasing bounce rate, increasing the time on site, like all of the things that lead to larger sales. Well, there's two sides of that. First of all, how satisfying it is when you've got a graph that's really high and then suddenly you see the drop rate and it's meant to drop. Right. Ah, <laughs> yeah. You, very clear about that. It's meant to drop. Yeah. You, but um, you, may, you did an experiment that moved to, to move a number and you moved it. Exactly. Yeah, it's or, very mm-hmm. exciting. You want something to be more performant and suddenly it's that much faster. Yeah. You can see it happen. It's great. Mm-hmm. But it's also when you're in businesses, unfortunately, you have to talk in money a lot. Sure. So with a centralized logging project, we had some dashboarding around there. It's like, right, this is how long it takes for a dev to deal with this problem. This is how often we've had this problem. This is how long I think it would take if all our logs were in one place. Right. It's like, so how much is that costing you? Yeah, you did the math. That's yeah. very powerful. Uh, guys, hold that thought for just a second while we take a moment for this very important message. We've all come to expect that distributed databases can't be both globally consistent and scalable. But what if you didn't have to make trade-offs? What if you could have a fully managed database service that's consistent, scales horizontally across data centers, and speaks SQL? Introducing Cloud Spanner, a mission-critical relational database service from Google Cloud Platform. Built from the ground up and battle-tested at Google for strong consistency and high availability at a global scale. Learn more about Cloud Spanner online at g.co slash getspanner. That's g.co slash getspanner. And we're back. It's .NET Rocks, Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell, and we're talking to Jessica White about dashboards and monitoring and dashboarding and all that happy stuff. Yeah, I love me some ROI. Like we, When you can actually get to a place where you're, you can put a dollar and cents number around it. I've done it the other way. Ow. I've slowed a website down to show how much revenue we lost from it. <laughs> yeah, that's, I like that. <laughs> that wakes people up pretty Powerful. fast. Like we added a second to the, we literally added a second to the load time on the mm. on the on the landing page, and saw the bounce rate ground, jump up three points. It's like corollary. I could take a second off this page. Mm. We can get three more points back, right? Like it was easy because it's very costly to squeeze another second out of a out of a landing page. Mm-hmm. You don't know if you're going to get return on it, but when you only slowed it down, we did so. It made them willing to experiment to go the other way. I very much like that. Hmm. Um, they made me turn it off very quickly, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. well, I, I like your idea. Please turn it off. <laughs> <Major> <laughs> point. 
holding people to ransom through metrics. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just doing an experiment and now I know I have data to work with. You sure you haven't worked in psychology? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just old. I've been doing this for a while. Uh, yeah, it's it's fascinating to be able to – I think it's a very healthy place for an organization to be metric-driven like that, to be able to all be on the same side of the problem, essentially. Yeah, It's not us much. versus them. We're all trying to move that number. Yes, yeah, uh, having that sense of purpose. You're mm-hmm. all kind of united and trying to do the same thing, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very much for the social aspects of dashboarding. Um, there's a book by – I might get wrong, but I think it's Mike Julian. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's written a practical monitoring book. And he gives examples of how uh, both dashboarding and logging is used in actual companies and the effects it has. Mm-hmm. So very much the same is we made this faster and then suddenly we made this much more money. Nice. Which is great for if you can't be bothered to explain it to someone, just pass them the book. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Go yeah. To page Monitoring Effective Strategies for the Real World, O'Reilly book from 2017 by Mike Julian. Yeah. I'll include the link in the show notes. It's lovely and short. <laughs> yeah, well, it's one of the great things about those uh, O'Reilly books, right? They have an animal on the cover, and they're not too long. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what's, uh, what's the number one mistake people make when, when uh, making dashboards, creating them? Blaming the dashboard. <laughs> nice. Ah. <laughs> um, the amount of people who turn around and say, oh, I've worked with dashboards, but they're rubbish. Like, nice. Why are they rubbish? How, how because they were useless. But why were they useless? Right. The information wasn't right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Maybe you need more work in that area. Yeah. I've, I've worked with the internet, but it's rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm never using the internet again because I used Internet Explorer and no. It's, it's terrible. And right. maybe you want to use something I found fake news. Else. It's useless. I'm never going there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit too broad of a thing. But I do, I've certainly had this experience with reporting that you kind of only get one chance to make a first impression with the organization. And if your numbers are wrong, it's very hard to get them to stop questioning your numbers afterwards. Mm. Yeah. Like it's, a, it's in, uh, where I got into trouble with this many, many years ago was showing like a total sales for the day number to a VP of sales who knows all of his numbers. And if your number doesn't match his number, you got problems hmm. because he's pretty confident that his number is right. And, and he doesn't he, need your dashboard to show it to him in the first place. Well, right? and, and, and then he's questioning it because my number was lower. Yeah. So, and then, then there's this long exercise to go through. Well, how I derived the number versus he derived the, oh, he was including taxes in the total. So, uh, right. he didn't include the refunds for the day because they're reconciled later. Like those kinds of things. Yeah. But if, I find you want to use numbers that people care about. But they're also emotional about them. Yeah. So you've got to kind of tread lightly. Mm. Yeah, very much so. Um, One area where this comes into a lot is if you're suddenly using dashboards for customer experience. Interesting. So suddenly, um, if you've got somebody on the phones and they can use a dashboard so they can actually give dynamic answers back. So Bob rings up saying, I want five of these biscuits delivered to this place. Right. You have to tell them if that's possible and when it's going to be delivered, Mm -hmm. etc., if those are slightly off or if somebody's made an order at the same time and it's become a problem, right. that can be quite difficult. Um, but yeah, having the numbers correct can yeah. sometimes don't be a bit tricky. Don't sell things you don't have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People get angry when you do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, and I, of course, in the performance tuning space, we've always done lots of caching. And the downside to caching is once in a while you have stale data. Hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you even see this on Expedia and things like that where you go, oh, I want that price for a flight. And then when you actually click on it, it goes, hey, I was really sorry. We don't have that price. But here's this <laughs> price. You know, that's a cash failure. I think the bigger thing here is that you want the performance. You just have to deal with the occasional failure. And so there's a business discussion about what happens when we disappoint a customer because of these decisions we've made about how the system's going to work. I guess it's the same as every business discussion, though. It's always mm-hmm. cost versus profit. Yeah. At the end of the day, is it going to make us more money overall? Yeah. And well, yeah, unfortunately, 99.99% of my people are happy because it's faster. And the 0.01% is angry because I was wrong. Mm-hmm. And we compensate the 0.01 well so that they don't burn the house down. <laughs> okay, we're good. <laughs> well, likewise, uh, that data is going to catch up relatively quickly. So yeah. you're going to know you were wrong before they do, hopefully. Hopefully. So hopefully you can manage that situation yeah. a lot better than mm. you would have otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. It comes, like, comes out both parks. Yeah. But I... I like any time we as tech people get to talk to business people about 
business numbers, business metrics, business processes, is I feel like we don't do that near often enough, or it's dictated to us. Yeah. Right? That they, they've decided how the app should work, and they're going to give you, you know, just do this. And the fact that you can push back on how are we going to express this on this dashboard, how are we going to, to visualize, how do we react to it, I think it's a healthier conversation. I think it's very good for reputation as well. So um, certainly worked in teams where we've had problems because of a third party. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm. And, you know, the, all the business sees is the website's gone down or people can't do the thing they want to do. Right. And dev and ops are getting complained that. And yeah. to be able to turn around with a dashboard and saying, this is how many hours they've been down. It's not our fault. Right. <laughs> and this is why we need to do the work to have another strategy in place. Mm -hmm. So how much it's costing you again, unfortunately. But it's being able to show that in a really easy to understand format. Yeah. Instead of just, you know, complaining about the person next door and they think you're just whinging. Right. Yeah. And, you, and you only say that after they call to say, well, what's going on? Well, sometimes we've had to contact companies tell them they're <laughs> to down. tell them that they're down yeah. and they haven't even realized. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's very valid. I, but I also like this idea of providing dashboards to the folks that would ordinarily complain so yeah. they can see that we see a problem coming or that there is an issue going on. It's not just them. Yeah. Right? It doesn't turn into a tech support. Problem. So obviously the, the, uh, it's valuable for a dashboard to be constantly updating so that, you know, because if you're looking at something that's 10 minutes old, an hour old or something like that, you may get the wrong opinion or the wrong idea about the state of reality. So if, if it's not constantly moving, like what are some strategies to, 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 indicate to the uh, viewer that it's actually live um so there's a couple of things here first of all uh depending on what you're measuring against alerts probably come into play a lot here mm -hmm. so if it's something that you're not expecting to see very often but you need to know about it quickly use an alert instead of putting it on a dashboard yeah. so that's um, a text message or an email or any format you want right uh, yeah. slack hip chat <laughs> yeah yeah there's many forms uh haven't found an integration for morse code yet but no. that would be interesting i guess maybe just putting the time on uh you know on a dashboard uh that it will that'll indicate that you know at least it's refreshed the last time it refreshed yeah definitely mm -hmm. but uh uh, yeah, having things constantly moving is obviously the best idea. That sense yeah, of heart, that sense of ideally. heartbeat. Yeah, things are they're happening, or at least having one aspect of a dashboard that is moving. Yeah. It doesn't have to be all of it. That's as long right. as you see that one bit's working, <laughs> gives you confidence that oh, that must be current, right? Or yeah. Current enough. And current that's enough. What, that's what we know. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? I uh, must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time for me to promise that I won't. I will not go for the low-hanging fruit of measuring the laugh-to-groan ratio of my mid-show jokes because we already know that it can't be measured. <laughs> well, you know, if you have one, a zero on one side or the other of the equation, pretty much it pretty much breaks it, right? Can't measure it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's actually time to give away a D-Experience subscription to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant.net solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. And check out their DevExtreme React grid, built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, like the virtual DOM and state controllers like Redux. Supports master detail, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing, and you can check it out and test it for free on GitHub. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com slash superhero. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Ryan Culture. Congratulations, Ryan. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. And Ryan just won the D-Experience subscription. That's a big pile of awesome for my friends at DevExpress just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club, but you have to sign up to win. And now, Jessica, it is your turn to tell us, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology right now, what would you buy? 
I'd be incredibly extravagant and buy the 360 sleepless nights bed because my bed is awful. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> I like What's the idea. What's great about this? Um, it's an IoT bed, so it adjusts the uh, temperature so that you have a better night's sleep, even adjusts position so you don't snore anymore. It's supposed to give you the best night's sleep possible. Really? And it's $5,000? it's $5,000. Oh, my <laughs> God. But, hey, you know, you spend a third of your life, right? Like, if you're going to spend money on something... That's a lot of raspberry pies. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should build my own. <laughs> yeah, right. Wow. Jeez. I don't know how freaky it would be that while you're sleeping, your bed is adjusting itself. <laughs> it's a little... Uh, it's a little... Uh, there's probably a Black Mirror episode in there yeah. somewhere. <laughs> and, <laughs> we're already living in a Black Mirror episode, but yes. <laughs> and here's the more important thing. Is there a dashboard for your bed in the kitchen so that people can see I exactly totally what make position? One. <laughs> <laughs> bed dashboard. Be yeah. able to yeah. tell my other half how often he snores during the night. Yeah, that's that's have right. proof. See? Oh. See? Can we integrate a little you know, sound dampener that drops between down the center of the bed there? It's like as the volume level goes up on one side, the what, dampener comes in. What would be cool is for people who talk in their sleep or sing, as the case may be, uh, and it's been known to happen. Ask me how I know. Um, <laughs> to, to have a recording, you know, that's just sound triggered. In other words, at the end of the night, you what you hear back is only the things that were said in oh, your sleep. Wow. That would be kind of funny. I, that I, would be brilliant. I do admit to having recorded a friend of mine that I was sharing a hotel room with. Mm -hmm. uh, not because he was snoring, but because he was having the... Uh, breathing stops. Oh yeah, yeah. And, um, and I couldn't convince him of it until yeah. I actually played him back Apnea. recording at breakfast. It's like, dude, you stop for thirty seconds. Like yeah. those are brain cells flying. You off need right to now. go get a yeah, sleep study. Get a CPAP machine. Yeah. Oh, that's terrifying. Well, you know. Yeah. It's creepy to stand beside someone who's sleeping and record them, though. <laughs> Just yeah, saying. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I think that's the first. Really? Yes. yes. Yeah, I would buy a great bed. And I think it's <laughs> it's smart. Yeah. Because like, uh, you talk about improving every aspect of your life in one thing. Yep. Yeah. I love sleep. What can I say? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, uh, yeah, I don't love sleep. I sleep as little as necessary. I got things to do. It's the best 10 hours of the week. <laughs> 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 All right. We were open with the tech around this, but I got to think that that web dev is sort of the easiest way to whip together a dashboard or just about anything. It's, it's probably the easiest entry level yeah. to kind of get involved. Put I mean, stuff on. even, well, I suppose I should probably mention them because they're outside, but Track.js are very easy to integrate yeah, with. Yeah, so. nice yep. group of guys too. Yeah, lovely group of guys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they'd be willing to help you most of the way. Uh, well, we haven't had uh, Anthony and Van Horn and, and Nick Molnar on forever. That's the Glimpse dashboard, right, yeah. which I've always liked the look of that one. It's, you know, very talking cool. about evaluating websites. They do, they do a great job with that. Yeah. And just an example of good visualization around what's going on on a web page. Yeah. I'm thinking if I was going to do one just in vanilla JavaScript, I'd at least use SignalR. Mm -hmm. I would be all all up in that yeah definitely because it's just that way to get a heartbeat to get that that yeah. page updating without refreshing the yeah. whole thing or, or webhook in yeah. general yeah 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 i've uh, used grafana recently because you can use a hosted version for free uh it's very limited on what you can do with it obviously mm. but you can just set up this integration called world ping so it'll hit your website from mm. several places in the world and you can see it yep um which i probably set up in half an hour mm. um just to show my company, hey, look, it's pretty. I want to play this yeah. one now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got a subscription to Uptime Robot. Uh, yeah. I think I, I pay $20 a year to routinely ping sites, including Don Ra, so mm -hmm. make sure it's up. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, yeah, it's our da email dashboards, not that great, but it's an alert just to let you know, hey, right. we, can't, we can't get there right now. They had an outage last year, didn't they? The Uptime Robot did? <laughs> yeah. the, there's something funny there, I think. I'm thinking about that. <laughs> it's, it's a little ironic. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's nice to see examples of various dashboards. Good enough that you kind of forget they are. Yeah. It's just, you know, something you count on. Mm -hmm. And when you've got tools like Docker as well, mm -hmm. um, I think Elastic Stack has a blog on how to spin it all up with Docker relatively easily. Right. So you can have a try of it before you actually invest mm -hmm. so, yeah you don't have to 
you don't have to spend a lot of money up front. Yeah, I like the fact you can spin up something on Docker relatively easily if you're used to it, play about with the dashboard, see if it's right for you, mm-hmm. and get rid of it with no real impact. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, very good. Do you do much in Azure with uh, with their instrumentation system? I've done bits. Yeah. Um, I played with Application Insights mm-hmm. at my last job, which is actually why I was looking at Grafana, because... You can use uh, the data source of App Insights and put it into Grafana. Oh, okay. Quite so Grafana gives you that visualization capability at yeah. the higher level, mm-hmm. and, it'll, and it'll take Insights as a feed. Yeah, because uh, cool. Insights is amazing, but unfortunately, you need some form of logging to see most of their right. dashes. Yeah. Um, and we had people who wanted to see it, but we didn't necessarily want to give them a login. So we well, share that, a Grafana. That's the other dashboard. thing is who do you show this to and you know what yeah. level? Especially when you get to more external people, it's like, how much do you actually want to show them of how your systems are running? Well, it's a dangerous thing having limited knowledge because mm-hmm. you don't know how much you don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's a question. Yeah. How, how ignorant did you want to stay? Exactly. You, you may have been happier <laughs> just saying when you didn't know. <laughs> well, I think one of the things that happened when I started continuously monitoring stuff like, uh, like .NET Rocks to run as radio was we found that SQL Azure has a regular barf, right? Like just a yeah, routine thing that every so often the page isn't going to respond well because mm-hmm. SQL Azure is doing its thing. There are higher level, more expensive accounts you can get mm-hmm. to get rid of that stuff. But and for, we ended up caching, yeah, uh, just to get rid of that problem because our stuff changes once, yeah, once you know, a twice, week, once yeah. twice a week. Yeah. yeah, so this is not that big of a deal for right. constantly to pull. But it's, again, it's like it was the instrumentation mm-hmm. that led us to changing the way we wrote the software. Yeah, yeah. Interesting truth. True. Right. You, you get, that's good feedback that when you actually uh, change an, an implementation of a feature. Yeah. Instrumentation led improvement is a great thing. Yeah. Well, it all goes back to scientific method, doesn't it? That mm-hmm. You need a baseline, do something, and you can see the effect. Because if you don't have the baseline in the first place, right. how do you know that it's done anything? I was just writing code. <laughs> I don't know if I made anything better. <laughs> ah, that's my day to day life, I think. <laughs> But I think it ties back to Matthew's comment at the beginning of the show, too, where this whole, you put out a feature and you want to know that it's being used or that it's right. causing problems before it tips everything over. So, you know, it's, I, I could almost see getting to a place where it's like part of you deploying this feature is how does it show up in the logging? Yeah. With his um, line of comment, he was saying about how logging's thought to be just around failure. And the same problem comes from instrumentation. It's seeing when things are going wrong. But actually, you want to see that things are working the way you expect it right. to. Well, my biggest fear with the feature is nobody's using it. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, and that's, that. yeah, uh, we've got no errors because mm. stuff works great if nobody uses it. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, or you, we've got a ton of errors, but it's only a certain class of machine. Uh, you know, I've, I've absolutely had an, a, a diagnostics problem where it's like we, we were getting two or three percent of users with a, a, a error rate and saying, well, that's really good. It's almost working all the time until we actually look at the demographic data of who was getting the error. And it was a particular computer in this organization, a particular type of mach- configuration. And it was one of the most popular machines. And the only reason we weren't getting a lot of errors is that people figured out it didn't work there. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't yeah. told anybody. Have you ever uh, had to make a physical dashboard out of some something like I'm, I'm thinking of uh, Clemens Vasters using like the cockpit of a B-52? Remember we talked yes. about that? He wants me to get him one Yeah, somehow. so he can make the, a dashboard out. He's like, he can use the <laughs> actual physical gauges. gauges. That's amazing. No, but I want to now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's such a cool idea. Yeah. Well, um, it's something that came up. Uh, the last couple of days, I didn't realize that dashboarding wasn't a commonly used term. Right. Uh, some people know it as visualization. Right. So, so explaining it in the terms of you get into a car, you see a dashboard, yep. you mm. see the fuel, you see if there's any problems. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a whole yeah. thing. Indicator lights, like all of the, the odometer, like all oh, these are all good metaphors for stuff around a website. Yeah, but it's also it is um, some form of uh, monitoring. Mm-hmm. You use monitoring in day-to-day life. So mm-hmm. why do we frown upon it so much in software? I don't yeah. know. Do we frown upon it in software? I'm I'm a big fan of dashboarding. I don't know. Yeah, I just don't. I think what's that- the where's the pushback coming from? <laughs> That's the first time I've heard of that kind of thing. Um, I did a very uh, unusual talk. Uh, I went to talk at Dot York, which mm-hmm. you do a ten minute talk and and then you do questions. Mm-hmm. The reason it's unusual is because it's in a church, so you're kind of giving a sermon on whatever you're talking about. Ah, <laughs> oh, nice. Very bizarre. Um, but it was the first time I did the first half of my dashboarding talk. 
And towards the end, I did ask, does anybody not like dashboards or find them useless? <laughs> and all these hands went up. And I thought, ah, probably should address that <laughs> in my next <laughs> talk. Uh, so yeah, there's quite a few people who really dislike them, but I think it comes down to experience. Right. Yeah, sure. And how they're implemented. As they you made said bad, before, da- right? bad dashboards. Well, yeah. I, I can see several things going wrong. I mean, obviously the overwhelming of data. Yeah. yeah. Like, why are we only logging failure? Because when we log success, we get so many records. Like, now right. what? Yeah. yeah. So consolidating them is useful, but collecting the data is still useful. Mm-hmm. But uh, I could see you getting into a situation where management's watching a dashboard and harassing the staff essentially on why is this number like this? Why right. is that number like that? Uh, you know, how can we do better on this? It's like, right. Can we do our work? Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> the best way for me to be productive to take that thing away from you. Yeah, but the, the cause is not <laughs> always usually obvious. obvious. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's you don't get the story by reading the number. Yeah, yeah very true. Yeah, no, and I think it's an interesting aspect of can I look at that number, click on it, or something, and have it help derive more information around right. it so that yeah. we can get answers. Well, um, one of the beginning pieces of work I did in a company I used to work in was we're trying to get business to see the purpose and why we're doing this in the first place, why we had these dashboards. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we're working in a scrum environment. So we went to the stakeholder and said, right, what are the things that you need to to know, that you need to report on? Mm -hmm. And kind of put those down into the implementation of dashboard. So suddenly he could see how our work was relating to his. Nice. (laughs) And he only saw the bits he needed to. He's going, okay, so you can actually get these numbers for me. Like, yeah, Yeah. we actually know what we're doing, (laughs) (laughs) funnily enough. I do find, uh, I I found this issue with real-time numbers that like incomplete days or incomplete time units. Oh, not time. Yes. (laughs) Well, you know, a sales guy who's super anxious because yesterday they sold $5,000 worth of stuff Mm. and today they only sold $1,000 worth of stuff. Mm. It's like, dude, it's 10 a.m. (laughs) Right. <laughs> well, I got to a point in this particular app where I just stopped showing the current day. Huh. The, that I, I started thinking in terms of reconciled data units. Yeah, Until right. Until the day is complete, those numbers are lies anyway. There might be refunds. There's like stuff not done. So sure. I'm, I'm not going to show you an unfinished day. And they're like, but I want to know what's happened today. You will <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> uh, it's going back to that. Oh, but it's interesting. No. (laughs) (laughs) I don't need you interested. I need you working. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I want that on a (laughs) t-shirt. That's a good one. Yeah. I I think it's a very, the time part of that, I think is remarkably difficult to deal with. And to get people thinking about how data actually flows. Especially when you're dealing with aggregates as well, Mm because depending on where you're starting and stopping those measurements is drastically different. If you've got a lot of uh, customers who tend to hit your site at nighttime and you're doing your metrics during the day, it's not going to be any useful to you. It doesn't mean anything. Or you're missing a big piece. You you come to the end of your workday wondering why today was such lousy numbers and then tomorrow it doesn't look like that anymore because the traffic came later. But on the flip side, um, by using instrumentation, you can see people using your products in ways you wouldn't expect. Mm -hmm. Like the amount of companies who have gone out to make something, they have an idea and then realize actually the customers want this little bit right. so we should build on that to make profit yeah um hmm. i think a lot of atlassian stuff has kind of been based off experimental projects seeing yeah. how it works and a lot of it's diverted along the way that, yeah that rapid iteration and getting and having measurements so you can see what people use what people care about yeah it's really powerful to, to direct quickly where we're going look at this this is a picture of a, a physical dashboard made with a raspberry pi oh, wow. oh i like it and it looks just like it's a hand-drawn sign but it's got some uh you know numbers and gauges and uh, un- unread email gauge look at that with where to brew more coffee once it's got too large. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> we'll send a link to that. Yeah, it's definitely. At, uh, dot com. But yeah, I like everything about that physicality piece. To, yeah. to, you would actually put a physical set of dials up on the wall. You know, you could mine some like old submarine tachometers or yeah. just weird things. I'm sure, that, we could find them. Yeah, I'm sure you could. Yeah, and have some, and just have some fun with that. I'm sorry, very I planted used to, that seed in no, your no, evil I love, brain. Yeah, I, yeah. about it. I think I'm going to put it in my office. Yeah, right? yeah. As I've done the knock thing, where we've put screens up that are running operations manager and tools like that, that are constantly showing the heartbeat of machines and servers that are having problems. And and 
it became very soothing. It's like, okay, well, we're going to go reboot that computer. We don't watch that computer reboot anymore. You watch the monitoring system show, hey, the stop refining to spin, ping, mm-hmm. you know, it, and you actually see that wave of that machine coming and going in the overall monitoring system. Well, uh, the company I've just started working for, Unidays, they've taken this a step further. Mm. So uh, the guy who owns it, Andrew, he's built his own RTD2 and hooked it up to the monitoring system. That's <laughs> so cool. You have a little droid following you around telling you how things are going wrong? It's really big. <laughs> okay, not little droid. Yeah, yeah, he's built it from a Hoover, so you see it running around ah. the office when something goes wrong. It's great. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, we used to have a Nabaz tag. I remember that. It was the bunny rabbit. The bunny it was rabbit white with, the with the ears and the lights. <laughs> and it was wired to the continuous Could integration yeah, process. When the, so when, when the build people failed. broke the build, the ears went down and it played oh. the sad trombone sound. <laughs> <laughs> Who broke the build? <laughs> yeah. But that's a gag the dashboard, really. You know, yeah, ways that we is. visualize the state of, of systems. The best uh, broke the build story I ever heard was one that flashed the, the developer's name and went, <laughs> right, like alarm sound. <laughs> I love it. Because oh. why not? Absolutely. So what's what's next for you? What's in your inbox? Uh, well, I started a new job on Monday. <laughs> oh, wow, there you go. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, so I'll be finding out what's in store there. They're going to be working in a few different teams. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to play with some of their monitoring tools. Yeah, sure. If they'll let me. Hopefully they have some too. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I think sometimes you come into organizations and it's just like, this is not an area they've worked on yet. True. Though, um, I've been very lucky. Like I say, there's a great community in, te- in Nottingham, mm-hmm. um, I was saying earlier. So luckily I've turned around and going, I'm really interested in this thing. And companies have brought me in to show me what they're doing and oh, wow. where it's hurt them. They're courting <laughs> you. Wow. I guess yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've just taken it as I really want to see your systems. <laughs> <laughs> Show me your systems. <laughs> yeah. So I've talked to a couple of guys who work in the operations teams there, mm-hmm. so I have some idea of what they do. That's cool. But yeah. as a developer, I want to see what they're doing on that side of the fence too. Well, and that's that always makes ops guys excited too when you when you're able to go to them and say. You know, show me how you know my software's working. Yeah. yeah. Or when you have a problem, I think it's very it's a very constructive conversation. And it's good as a developer, especially I've only been doing this for a couple of years now, knowing how it all links together and how right. it works, I think mm. gives you a bit of a deeper understanding of sure. what's going on. It's a on. great mission for anybody listening. It's like, yeah. do you know how your software's monitored? Go ask. Mm. Just the asking is good yeah. for morale. Sure. And you may actually learn something, too. Yeah. Well, Jessica, thanks. It's been great. It's been Thank a lot you. of fun. And uh, do keep in touch and drop in from time to time. I will. <laughs> all right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got transmitter bands by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a time boy. Life is hard.